Okay, First Thessalonians chapter 1. So once again this morning, we have a, a combo package just like last Sunday. We have a sermon from First Thessalonians 1 followed by a uh, Bible study on uh, gender. Um, so this is, uh, we get our hearts built up and nourished from First Thessalonians 1, and then we go climb in the mud for a while uh, after that. But don't leave after the sermon. This Bible study material is massively important equipping for our church family. Um, so may the Lord give us strength to get from now to 1145. Uh, it's going to be a lot, but so, so very important. Uh, Crystal and I are going to be gone from this evening uh, through the middle of the week. Um, so if you're trying to get in touch with us, we're going to be out of, out of reach mostly at a, at a pastor's and wives fellowship. And then Wednesday night, Crystal and I will get to be at Faith Baptist Church of Cherokee Road, which is where one of our missions partners, Bodie Brock, um, is, is serving together with Camp Ironwood. And this Wednesday night is the ordination council for him. And if all goes well this week, he'll be ordained as a pastor uh, next Sunday. So that's an encouraging, exciting thing. And so we get to be a part of that Wednesday evening. So we'll be back sometime on, on Thursday. I know that we come this morning uh, with the weight on our hearts of what's going on in the Middle East and the uh, questions about uh, what's going to happen and how significant that is going to end up uh, being, how much that's going to that's grow. So I want to lead us in another prayer this morning specifically about that before we begin reading from 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. So um, this, is, this prayer comes mostly from Psalm 9 uh, with Psalm 86 at the end. Dear Heavenly Father, we uh, look to you as God of gods, King of kings, the one who is over all. All things, all the nations of men, and all the ways of men are in your hands. And so with the psalmist, we pray that in the events we are watching in these days, you would make yourself known, you would execute judgment, you would let the wicked be snared in the work of their own hands. We pray that the nations would sink in the pit that they have made. In the net that they hid, let their own foot be caught. Arise, O Lord, let not man prevail. Let the nations be judged before you. Put them in fear, O Lord. Let the nations know that they are but men. And yet at the same time, had you already arisen, none of us would be sinners saved by grace. And so as people who have been saved by your mercy, we also pray, Psalm 86.5, You, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. And so we pray that across the Middle East today, both Jews and Arabs would call upon you through Jesus Christ, and that you might abound in steadfast love, saving love, forgiving love toward them. We pray for our brothers and sisters throughout that region that the light of Christ might shine through them in a very remarkable way for your glory today. In Jesus' name, amen. We will begin by reading uh, the first 10 verses, well, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, which is 10 verses. And as we do, I'd like to ask you to watch for two things. 
First of all, we can use this as a review of the themes from last Sunday. Um, So watch for their response to the gospel, which showed that God had chosen them for salvation. But then secondly, as we read, in verses 5 through 9 especially, watch for the idea of influence, because our title this morning is The Influence of a Joyful Faith. So watch for their response to the gospel Watch for the idea of influence, 1 Thessalonians 1.1. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know brothers loved by God, that He has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. So it's easy to see there the the themes of example and testimony and imitation that are in this section. And what we're going to see is that as other believers pass through the influence of our lives, it shapes them. And as we pass through the influence of other believers, it shapes us. And that is a really exciting reality that, that energizes how we think about sharing life together as a, as a church family. Um, So, our passage today really continues the the joyful tone from the last two Sundays. It's this excited thanksgiving for what God did in Thessalonica. And in this section, the joy and the gratitude is because of their influence. So, let's consider the influence of a joyful faith. And we'll begin by working through the text from the end of verse 5, which is where the theme of influence begins. And there Paul says at the end of verse 5, you know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. So this is referring to the team's uh, testimony, example, when they were with the Thessalonians. But Paul doesn't go on to keep talking about this. It's actually down in chapter 2 that he's really going to spend a while talking about their Uh, their testimony to the Thessalonians. So it's best to think of the end of verse 5 as a parenthesis in Paul's thought. And that makes sense if we back up and read the whole verse, verse 5. Because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction, you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. Remember, full conviction is referring to confidence, assurance, Paul's confidence of the resurrected Christ, his confidence in the gospel, the confidence that they came with even though they had just gotten beaten up in Philippi. Yet they came with this confidence and assurance, and Paul says, you, you know what we were like, right, when we were with you. But then he really doesn't come back to that again until chapter 2. 
He does say at the beginning of verse 6, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord. But again, that's not really going to be his emphasis. His emphasis is going to be on their example to others. So keep look, reading in verse 6. And you became imitators in us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. So the Thessalonians received the word with joy despite affliction. The word is just referring to the truth, the word of God, the the gospel that Paul and his team taught in Thessalonica. Remember, we're, we're picturing Paul in his workshop, in the market, making tents, right? But as he's doing that, he's talking, and he's telling people about sin and about judgment and about God's wrath. But he's telling them about Jesus and the cross and the empty tomb and forgiveness and all the salvation that's available in Christ. He's telling them, if you're a great sinner, there's a great Savior. If you're a rebel, there's a great King. And some of the Thessalonians, the ones who got saved, they responded to that with joy. They got excited about the good news, which was the right thing to do, right? I mean, in a sense, their joy is not surprising. There's joy in heaven when a sinner turns to Christ. There's joy on earth from the people who've been praying for that sinner and sharing the truth with them. And there's joy in that sinner when they come to Christ. And yet, This joy in Thessalonica is especially meaningful because we know that they received the word in much affliction, as verse 6 says. Affliction is trouble that inflicts distress. And that makes it a little more surprising that they had so much joy, doesn't it? We read about some of that trouble in Acts chapter 17. Remember, some people in the city formed a mob and attacked one of the homes of the Christians, trying to find these missionaries. The city authorities, the people in general, were really upset at this new church and these new Christians. And so we know about that part of the afflictions, but we can be sure that they probably also faced harassment, lost opportunities in their jobs, alienation from their families and friends. It was costly to follow Christ. And yet, so much joy. They received the word with joy, despite affliction, and this had significance even greater than they could realize. What's the significance? Well, this was an imitation of the missionaries, but even more so, it was an imitation of Christ. That's how verse 6 begins, right? You became imitators of us and of the Lord. It's not that they were intentionally trying to imitate them, Because as brand new Christians, they may not have even known about that. But Paul's encouraging them that when they were faithful to God despite affliction, when they had joy in the gospel despite affliction, they were actually being like the missionaries. And more importantly, they were being like Christ. Paul and Silas and Timothy had come to Thessalonica after being shamefully treated in Philippi, yet they kept pressing forward. But even more importantly, when Jesus suffered and was shamefully treated, he kept pressing ahead in the Father's will and the Father's way. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. So when they received the word with joy, despite affliction, that had special significance because it was an imitation of the missionaries and of Christ. Now, the next thing Paul does is he talks about, he begins talking about the result of that. Verse 7, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. Again, that's the Roman provinces that made up what we think of as Greece. 
It's like saying, you became an example to all the believers in Northern and Southern California. How did they become an example like that? Well, the beginning of verse 8 tells us the first reason. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia. So the first reason for their example was because in the region, the word sounded forth from them. When they got excited about Jesus, they started talking about Jesus. They told family, they told friends, they told co-workers. And so the word spread through Greece from them. So that's the first reason for their example. And then there was a second reason, if we keep reading in verse 8. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, in, every, in other words, everybody else tells us how they've already heard about what happened, how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven. So we talked about verses 9 and 10 last Sunday, but we're, what we're doing now is connecting it back to verse 8, which says, your faith in God has gone forth everywhere. And then verse 9 describes their repentance. So the second reason for their example was because everywhere other believers heard about their faith and repentance. Paul probably says this because he had heard from, he had talked to some Christians who had already heard about what, talk, what happened in Thessalonica. And one possibility, it's a guess, but it's a good guess, um, is that, okay, so remember, Paul and Silas and Timothy were in Thessalonica. They had to leave Thessalonica. They went to Berea. They went from Berea down to Athens. When he's in Athens, he's like, I can't take it anymore. I've got to know how the Thessalonians are doing. So he sends Timothy back up. But then he kept going to Corinth. And then Timothy came back down to Corinth and brought him the good news about how the Thessalonians were doing, right? But something else happened in Corinth at the same time. Also, Priscilla and Aquila came from Rome to Corinth at the same time. And so it's possible that Aquila and Priscilla came to Corinth And Paul said, I got to tell you what happened in Thessalonica. And they said, we already know. And Paul's like, what? The faith of the Thessalonians already made it all the way to Rome. But remember the Ignatian way, that road, that highway that took you from Thessalonica to get to Rome and all over the Roman Empire. The news of what God had done there was spreading all over the place, um, which is really, really cool. So we can summarize it this way. By joyfully receiving the word of God with faith and repentance, despite affliction, which meant they followed the example of Christ and the missionaries, and by sharing that word, the Thessalonians influenced believers throughout the region and beyond. So, what are the principles here in this passage? Number one, the Holy Spirit gives us joy in the gospel. There is a section in the Gospel of John in which Jesus speaks of joy many times. John 15, 11, These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you, that your joy may be full. In John 16, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. 
So, also, you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be full. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. And what's remarkable, that's all. All those verses are from the same uh, time when Jesus was talking and then praying. And that's the same time when Jesus taught them about the coming of the Holy Spirit, when he promised that he would give the Spirit. And actually, in those verses, when Jesus refers to how he's going to come to them and see them, he's probably talking primarily about the giving of the Spirit. And so this joy that we can have because of Jesus is not just logical happiness. It's not that as I look at my life this week, A plus B equals joy. It's actually a gift from God and special working in our heart. Jesus said it was his joy fulfilled in us. So there is a a depth of joy in Jesus that only a Christian can understand because it's a gift of God by the Spirit. Acts 13, verse 52, the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Romans 14, 17, the kingdom of God is righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5, 22, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, right? That this joy is a mark of those who have been born again. And it's a joy because it comes from the Spirit. It's a joy that can spring up in our hearts over and over again because the Spirit is this fountain of life in our hearts. So the joy is always there. Doesn't mean we're always thinking about it. Doesn't mean we're always feeling it. But the source of the joy is a a constantly replenishing fountain in our hearts because of the Spirit. It reminds me of Isaiah 12, 3. With joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation, and those wells never go dry. You can draw and draw and draw from them. Not only that, but even life in this broken world can't quench that joy. So our second principle is that the Spirit's joy can rise above any circumstance. You receive the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. You know, all those verses we just read from the Gospel of John where Jesus talked about joy, when did he say all of those things? Every one of those quotes is from the night before he died. That's when he was talking about joy. Luke chapter 6, Jesus said, Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven. For so their fathers did the prophets. <laughs> That's Jesus' own words. Leap for joy. First Peter 1, By God's power you are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Nehemiah 8.10, The joy of the Lord is your strength. See, the joy doesn't have to go away in suffering. The joy doesn't have to go away in weakness. It can still be there because it comes from the Spirit, and the joy can actually be your strength in the suffering and the weakness. Remember also that 
Paul told them that they had become imitators of Christ when they had that joy despite affliction. And that connection with Christ is one of the greatest reasons why we can rejoice, because the afflictions draw us closer to Christ. We are walking the path that Christ walked. 1 Peter 4.13, rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings. Do you see all the reasons why this is a very durable joy? Better than steel and diamonds and carbon fiber and titanium and whatever's hard. I don't know. It's tough because it's connected to Christ. Suffering can't take it away because it's from the Spirit. Suffering can't take it away. The Spirit's joy can rise above any circumstance. And then number three, our third principle, the word that brought us joy should ring out from our hearts. And by the way, if as I say those things, you're at a place right now in your life where you just say, I'm just not joyful. I'm unhappy. I'm grumpy. The people around me know it. I'm frustrated. Can I urge you to go to the Lord later today and say, God, show me what is going on in my heart that I am burying your joy. Why is it that I am, I am squelching the Spirit's fountain? And let, ask God to show you. Don't stay there living as a joyless Christian. Okay, the word that brought us joy should ring out from our hearts. Verse 8, not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you. The Thessalonians didn't just live in a way that impacted others, though we'll talk about that in just a minute. They also spoke. They shared the word of God. And Paul uses a cool word here in verse 8. It's the word translated, the word sounded forth from you. Sounded forth means to to ring, to peal, to boom. It was used for the sound of musical instruments, for the roar of the sea, for loud claps of thunder, for other loud noises. And so the the point is that they heard the sound of the Word, but then the Word went out from them, echoing, expanding. The sound of the Gospel came to Thessalonica, and then it reverberated through the valleys and the hills of ancient Greece because the Thessalonians talked about it. And we're not told the specifics. We don't know if they talked about it with family or if they spread the word around the marketplace or if they talked to traveling merchants or if some of the Thessalonians went out to other towns to tell people about Jesus. They probably did all those things. But the principle is that the word that brings us joy should then ring out from our hearts, from our mouths. Don't don't be a dead end for the word. Let it echo out beyond you, reverberate through you. So the Spirit gives us joy in the gospel. It's a joy that can rise above any circumstance. The word that brought us joy should then ring out from our hearts. And finally, number four, our right responses to the gospel can have a remarkable influence on other believers. And so here's another really cool word in the passage. It's in verse 7. It's the word example. You became an example to all the believers. Jeffrey Wema writes that the word example was used for things like a mold that you would use to press something into a particular shape or a wooden stamp that they would use to make an imprint in clay. And remember, Paul's talking about the influence of believers upon other believers. He's not talking about evangelism now at this part of the text. He's talking about the influence of people who had been saved for six months on people who had been saved for two months. I picture it a couple different ways. 
in line with the meaning of that word. One way is to picture it as something that leaves an imprint. We say it in English. We say, that really made an impression on me, right? That's exactly what he's saying here. The other way we could picture it is like something being pressed through a mold so that it changes the shape of it. I know nothing about manufacturing, but maybe that's extrusion molding. You push something through and it comes out the other side reshaped. It's like as we interact with each other in the church family, we're being, we're being molded by each other, pressed through the lives of one another, and it leaves an impression on the shape of our life. So I'll come back to those illustrations in just a minute, but let's look at from this text four of the ways that can, four of the things that are going on in our life by God's grace that can have that kind of impact on others. First, our joy in affliction that can influence others. In our hearts, we tend to complain. We tend to focus on our sorrows and our sufferings and to feel sorry for ourselves. We know that joy in affliction is not natural. And because of that, it really stands out to us when we see it. It's like in everyday life when you see like a car with a really unusual color, you notice it. A few months ago, Nadia and I were driving to a park, and there was a very large tortoise walking across the road. We noticed. (laughs) That's different. In the same way, joy and affliction catches our attention. We're like, well, that's different. It leaves an impression on us. Secondly, our faith in God can influence others. Most of you know that we have, a, we have a brother who hasn't been at church with us for several months because of massive surgery on his foot. And he has another major surgery coming this week. But every time I talk to him, what I hear is faith. And it moves me. It impacts me. A, couple, a, a few weeks ago, one of the young men in our church asked me, how does getting to be a pastor help you grow as a Christian? Which was a great question. And there are many answers. But the very first thing that came to mind, I think my very first answer to him was how I get a front row seat to the faith of my brothers and sisters despite affliction. I could say that about many of you. Your joy in affliction or your faith or oftentimes both things together has shown to me you have molded my life. Whether I've told you that directly or not, you have shaped me through your faith and your joy in affliction. Thirdly, our repentance can influence others. And again, I think, I think this impacts us because we know it's so hard, because we tend to be proud, because we tend to cover up and rationalize and excuse our sin. And so when we see humble repentance in someone, it really sticks out to us. I mean, just think about if you're uh, like Discipleship Connect next Sunday, or, or prayer meeting three weeks from now. If you're in a group of people and somebody in that group starts saying, man, I have sinned. <laughs> I have just really, really failed the Lord and failed other people. And I am seeking God's forgiveness for that. And I need your prayers for that. Doesn't like the whole group just get really sober? <laughs> like all of a sudden, everybody feels like, wow, we're not just talking about the weather anymore. This just got important. That was remarkable. One of our brothers or sisters just had the courage to actually say, I have sinned. And it sticks out to us because it's hard. And our flesh doesn't want to do that. It's the same thing when someone comes to us and asks for our forgiveness, right? That makes an impact because we know 
I'd have a hard time doing that. And the same thing is true when we see someone else who is making the decisions to turn away from the world and obey God instead of what they have been doing or what they want to do. It makes an impression because we know the pull of our own heart toward the world. So repentance makes an impact on others. And then fourthly, our hope in verse 10. Now the word hope isn't in verse 10, but verse 10 is about hope. And it connects back to the word hope in verse 3. See the end of verse 3? Steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 10, and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead. Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. We all tend to get stuck in the here and now. And our attention can so easily narrow down to these earthly moments and these earthly things. We lose sight of the big picture. We lose sight of eternity. And in the process, then we might start to lose our grip on hope. But then we speak to somebody else. They speak with us. We pray with somebody else. And we hear it in the way they talk. We hear hope. We get just a little scent of heaven through them. And our hope starts to sprout again. Or to use a different different illustration, It's like fertilizer. (laughs) Their hope is like fertilizer in the soil of our hearts that helps our hope start to grow again. So these four points are just samples from this passage of aspects of our response to the gospel that can impact our brothers and sisters in Christ. So go back to the, the illustration again. So picture, first of all, something that leaves an impression on something else. Not in a bad way, hopefully we should probably pause and say that it is true that we are always shaping other people. And sometimes it's not good the way that we're shaping other people. But that's not the point of the passage here. The the point of the passage is this is a celebration, a thanksgiving for what God has done. So this is the, the good impression that we can make on someone else, maybe like a stamp that leaves an impression on a piece of, of leather. Your joy your faith, your repentance, your hope might leave an impression on some brothers and sisters right here in this room today. The leather of their life might go home with a new impression on it, a new stamp of faith or hope. Or I think of it, that, that image of something being pressed through a mold so that it comes out the other side in a different shape. I'm just thinking of like, All of our interactions as believers as like going through a mold. Every time we interact with each other and and we shape each other. Wouldn't it be amazing if when we come through those interactions with each other and come out the other side, we get reshaped a little bit and it's a little bit more like Jesus every time. Isn't that exactly what God designs for a church family? a bunch of people who are sharing life with each other, their lives are passing through one another's lives. And as we pass through, it keeps shaving us a little bit closer to the image of Christ. More faith, more hope, more repentance, more love. And how does that happen? Through regular conversations, regular prayers, regular discipling relationships where we're talking about what God is doing in our lives. The regular stuff of church life that we build into the calendar 
all along the way, our joy and faith and repentance and hope have an impact on one another. And I hope this morning you know that it's more than you realize. And the way you can know it's more than you realize is by simply asking yourself, how many other people have had a shaping influence on you more than they knew? How many times has someone else's faith encouraged you, but you didn't say to them, your faith encouraged me? It just did. Well, if that's been the case for you, then you can be certain that you're having an impact on people more than you know. And that is a great reason for Thanksgiving. What a blessing we can be to one another. And it's not because you had such a flawless week. It's often through affliction that joy and faith and repentance and hope make the greatest impression on other people. So, I'm going to close us now with just this benediction and charge, um, which actually comes from later in 1 Thessalonians. It comes from 1 Thessalonians 5. So I will read this, and we'll be done, um, and then come back to, to Bible study, and we'll start Bible study early this morning so that we have plenty of time for that. So this is 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 9 through 11. And as we've talked about, this is a combination of both uh, benediction, which is a a prayer to God for your blessing, and it's also a charge. 1 Thessalonians 5, 9 through 11. For God has not destined you for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for you, so that whether you are awake or asleep, you might live with him. Therefore, Encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Amen.